God's word to us this morning begins in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by Yahweh's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, for he hears your grumblings against Yahweh. And what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, This will happen when Yahweh gives you the meat to eat in the evening, and bread to the full in the morning. For Yahweh hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded, Gather of it every man as much as he should eat, You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. And they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, 
For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you, father, one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We'll turn now to the back of your bulletin and read together as a congregation Psalm 104, verses 24 through 35. Psalm 104. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and great. There goes the ships in Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text this morning is a short and important one. The portion of the Lord's Prayer in which we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Before we enter into God's Word, I wanted to share with you a brief portion of another important piece of literature from McKinney Bible Church. From 2002, this was the Beyond Daily Bread Church Cookbook, which is a testimony to the fact that we love to eat at this body, and that's a wonderful thing. There are some wonderful recipes in here. I highly recommend the mint brownies. I highly recommend the sweet rolls. Um, and then there are some portions that are well beyond daily bread, uh, like bumpwitches, uh, which may be made out of spam. Um, so I, I'll keep a copy up here for those of you who are interested in uh, the riches that we have at NBC of a love for food. And that's because that's how God's made us to be. He has made us dependent creatures who don't simply exist apart from God, 
But day by day, we have to come to him. And we get to ask from him to feed us. And when he feeds us, it's not just fuel. He gives us food. He gives us the delight of eating and enjoying not just the food, but the one who gives us the food, our maker. And so I pray that what we will hear from God's word this morning is that we are made dependent upon God and that in that dependence is our delight. That we would learn in prayer to delight in our dependence upon God and in particular upon Jesus Christ who is the bread who has come down from heaven, born in Bethlehem in the house of bread to feed our souls for all eternity. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are the bread that has come down from heaven. And in your word you teach us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we pray that you would nourish our souls this morning from your written word and upon yourself as the living word. It is in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen. Our goal this morning is to do two things. First of all, I would like to meditate together on each word of give us this day our daily bread. As Jesus has given us the Lord's Prayer, it is not simply a prayer to be recited, but a prayer that is a pattern for us. So that one way that we can use the scriptures in our communing with the Father is through meditation. To take each word as a precious diamond that we turn around and we think about all of its implications and as we do so in prayer, we are nourished from God. And so we'd like to do that together. And second, I would like to look at how Jesus himself is the answer to this prayer. How Jesus is the bread who has come down from heaven. And particularly, I want to see that in the context of Luke's gospel. How he is the one who was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. How he was the one who was laid in a manger, in a feeding trough, to be the food for the nations to come and feed upon him and see throughout Jesus' life how he is that bread who is preparing a banquet for sinners to come and feast upon him and ultimately in him to find life. So with that, let's enter into the text. In Luke chapter 11, of course, we have in Matthew chapter 6 been following Matthew's recounting of Jesus' Uh, giving of this prayer. And of course, this was a prayer that he gave in many different settings and to different audiences. And so I want to particularly look at Luke's version this morning. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, we read, it came about that while he, while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. It's remarkable to me that of all the things that the disciples might ask Jesus to teach them, they asked him to teach them how to pray. If there is, we might say, one thing that set them apart, that set him apart in their eyes, it was the intimacy with which he prayed to the Father, and they too wanted to learn how to pray in this way. This is important for us as we think about prayer, that what we are doing is not simply repeating the words that Jesus has given, but we are following the example of Jesus. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Jesus, in his humanity, lived in dependence upon his Father. 
And so he lived a life of continual prayer. He was constantly looking for guidance and strength from his father. And this was, this was communicated to him through the Spirit by prayer. And so Jesus is our example. And we follow him in prayer and praying dependently upon the Father to receive the life and the strength that we need. If that is what, how Jesus lived his life upon the earth, that is how we must live in constant and dependent prayer to the Father. Second, we hear the, um, to whom Jesus taught us to pray and with what priorities. In Luke 11, verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know, where we are coming to and give us this day our daily bread is the fact that our Father is inviting us to come and to make our petitions before him. And of all of the different aspects of prayer, this is the one that perhaps we, we practice the most, right? We are so prone to quickly, okay, I've got, I've got two minutes to pray. What am I going to do? God, I've got this and this and this and this and this that I need from you. In Jesus' name, amen. What happens when we do that? We have just taken this laundry list of our anxieties, of our fears, of our worries, and we have dumped them at the throne of grace, but in fact, we haven't even left them there. So often, we run out of prayer more anxious and more fearful than when we started because what we've just done is stirred up all of this, this worry and listen, understand, it feels like the world is falling apart. And the reason is because we have run too quickly to some form of give us this day our daily bread. And we've lost Jesus' order in how he's taught us to pray. First of all, he teaches us to pray, Father, to remember to whom we are praying, to remember that this one to whom we pray has blessed us to call him Father. At one time, we were children of wrath gone astray, but he has sent his Son into the world to die in our place, to be raised up, to pour out the spirit of adoption as sons, so that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And as a father, he's wise. As a father, he loves us. As a father, he delights to give good gifts to us. He's concerned about us. And this father is our father Luke doesn't say so, but as we saw in Matthew, of course, he is our Father in heaven. He is the one who is infinitely higher than us. The one who, while our perspective is so limited and so finite, his is infinite and his power is infinite. His plans are perfect. And so we lift up our prayers to our heavenly Father who loves us in his Son. And as we pray, having oriented ourselves to whom we are praying... We pray according to his priorities. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So often our priorities are our name, our fame, how we are remembered. But oh, that we pray to the holy, holy, holy God. And that he would be made holy in our lives. That we would reflect that holiness. That his holiness and his fame would be known throughout the world. And that his kingdom would come. And that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven that all would bow the knee and recognize his authority, beginning with us. And so, beginning our prayers before we rush into our petition to orient ourselves to the one who sits on the throne, whose name and for whose glory we seek in any petition, 
and submitting ourselves that ultimately his will be done and not our own. And in that context, with that freedom of recognizing my problems are not so big, (laughs) they're minuscule and compared to my infinite, heavenly, powerful, and loving and wise Father who sits on the throne and who is working all things out according to his purpose for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. That frees us to come into his presence humbly, joyfully, confidently, and to lay our petitions at his feet. And so he invites us to come in. And the first word he says here in this petition is give. We're not making a demand upon God. We're asking for his grace. What we are recognizing, first of all, is our dependence upon God. As we read in Psalm 104, verse 27, they all wait for you to give their food in due season. None of us, none of creation has life in itself. Everything that exists, exists because it borrows life from God. Because life has come forth from Him and poured out into us. And so we come to God and we pray, give. We don't deserve it. And yet in your grace, please give to us. And as we ask, we should ask boldly. Because He is the one who has invited us, encouraged us to ask. As we read in Luke 11, verse 11, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? If he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those of us who are parents, or really all of us, of course, have given parents at one time or another, but there's a special sort of joy at this time of year for those who exchange Christmas gifts. The greater joy really is in the giving. You know, as a child, I, there's so much anticipation about what you're going to receive, but I love it as a parent because what you're waiting for is that all this time of, if you've already done your shopping, if not, of course, you know, there's still time, um, to... You're, you're waiting for the joy that's going to be on their face when they see the gift or perhaps when they see the box and play with that instead of the gift. But at any rate, the joy of giving. And we're evil. <laughs> but if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father who delights to give good gifts to us. He's not just this, this stingy, mean old man sitting up in heaven who's trying to strike us down with lightning bolts. He's a loving father who delights to give us what we need. And so he invites us to come and to ask of him. He's glorified in giving us good gifts. So we come asking that he give. And at the same time, recognizing that he gives us often by the means of giving us strength so that we may work. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 If you do not work, neither shall you eat. And so he gives us the strength, the means by which we might work and have the joy of work so that we can in turn provide for ourselves and for others. And so the first part of this petition is asking in dependence upon God, the fountain of every blessing that he would give to us. Second, we pray, give us. Give us. Us. Notice it doesn't say, give me my daily bread. It says, give us our daily bread. Who is the us in this context? Well, first of all, it is the disciples who are asking Jesus how to pray. And so it, the us is the family of God, disciples of Christ, believers in Jesus. 
And as we come before the throne of grace, we shouldn't just be praying for our own needs, for the needs of our family, for the needs of the family of God. And what that means is we have to enter into a deeper relationship with one another than just superficialities so that we know the specifics of people's needs. We need to have people into our home. We need to be talking to one another, coming as we gather together with our head on a swivel to see who, what, what needs exist that I can be praying for this week. We pray for one another. Give us this day. In the context of loose gospel, this us goes beyond just the family of God with a particular emphasis upon the poor. In Luke 1, 51 excuse me, Luke 1, 53, in Mary's Magnificat, she praises this great reversal of how those who are proud will be humbled and the humbled will be raised up. And in Luke 1, 53, Mary says, he has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty-handed. And we see this throughout Jesus' gospel, as we will get to in a minute, how Jesus was constantly preparing a table, particularly for the poor, for sinners who have an infinite debt against God, and for the economically poor. And in Luke 14, in verse 12, he also went on to say to one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. As we come before the Lord in prayer and we pray, Give us this day our daily bread. We should come in prayer not just on behalf of ourselves, but thinking about the homeless person that we passed as we were driving to church, thinking about the people who have come to Grace Bridge in need of food. We should come thinking about those around the world who are suffering from starvation. And we bring them before the throne of grace and we pray that God might have mercy. And not only in prayer, but then we are praying that we might be the channels of blessing to help feed the poor. As Jesus literally says, that we might invite the poor to sit at our tables. And as one of the listeners to this said, how blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That our tables, our homes, would be an expression of God's kingdom, giving grace to those who are hungry. Whose greatest hunger and need is for God. And that this piece of bread might be a picture of what their souls need to be satisfied in Christ. We have seen giving us, we are praying for dependence, and we are praying in love for others. Give us this day, or as Luke says, give us every day our daily bread. There is a slight difference in the words that are used between Matthew and Luke's gospel. In each case, they are um, only used once in the New Testament, and so we don't, uh, scholars don't know exactly um, how to translate those best, but it seems that Matthew's gospel and giving us this day, our daily bread, is, could be saying, give us the bread that we need today. And Luke's gospel and saying, give us every day, our daily bread, is saying, give us the bread that we need tomorrow. But the point is, it's not saying, give me a lifetime's worth of bread, and I want it right now so that I don't have to worry anymore. Rather, what it's saying is, teach me day by day to trust in your faithfulness. Teach me day by day 
to, teach, to, to learn with thankfulness about how faithful you are to meet my needs sufficient for this day. As we think about daily bread, the first thing that I think should come to our minds is what we read in Exodus 16. That God taught his people in the wilderness that they could not store up a lifetime's worth of grace and then coast. Rather, that they needed to live day by day by day, trusting in their faithful God. And so for 40 years, God fed them. Every day, even with all of their murmuring, even with all of their sin, God proved himself faithful to sinners. And he did so by every day they would wake up and heavenly bread had fallen and they could go and gather it up and it was sweet and it was good. And they were learning. I can't store it up for the next day, except for, of course, the day before the Sabbath so that they did not work that day. But the point is the same, that we cannot simply um, say one and done, I've trusted in the Lord. No, it is, it is an ongoing, vital communion, abiding in Christ, by which we are being fed by him like a vine and the branches, day by day being nourished by our God, day by day trusting in his faithfulness to meet our needs for that day. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 31, Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In this prayer, we are asking that the Lord would teach us to trust in his faithfulness day by day. But I have a question. How can we, as those who live with such an abundance, honestly pray this prayer? Now, Jesus and his disciples knew what it was to live hand to mouth. In an itinerant kind of ministry, if someone did not feed them that day, if the Father did not use someone to give them grace, then they didn't eat. And there are millions around the world that live that way today. But I have to confess, and my family, our Christmas gift to one another was we got a new fridge. This was not our first fridge. This is our third fridge. We have the, the other fridge in the garage, and then we have the other freezer in the garage. We have an abundance. We are so far beyond daily bread um, some of the things that are in the freezer are far beyond edible as well. But nevertheless, uh, we, we live in such an abundance, right? And so how can we really say, give me my daily bread? I'll say at least two things. Number one, that we, as we are praying this prayer, we are acknowledging the grace, the faithfulness that God has shown, and we give him thanks for it. We give him thanks for the abundance that we have. Many of us follow the, the acronym ACTS in our pattern for prayer. So A, for uh, adoration to God, beginning with praise to God. C, confessing our sins to God. T, thankfulness to God. And then finally, S, supplication of prayer, the petition that, that we're looking at now. What's interesting in the Lord's Prayer is that nowhere does it directly say, give thanks to God. But of course, we know that this was an essential part of Jesus' prayer life. We know that, for example, for what we will be seeing in just a minute in Luke 22. As Jesus took the bread, what did he do? He gave thanks and said, this is my body. 
Jesus regularly, as he received from the Lord, as he received bread from the Lord, the first thing he did was to give thanks for the gift of God. And so there's a sort of pattern, a sort of liturgy in Jesus' prayer life, in which first he prays, he makes petition, and then he specifically gives thanks for the things that God has given. And that's the pattern that we are to follow as well. That we are constantly asking from God and at the same time being very quick to recognize in thankfulness how God has specifically answered our prayers. And so part of the reason I think why we struggle with thankfulness, number one, is that we're not specific enough in our petitions. When we're just generally praying, God, please, please bless the world, please save the world, please meet all of our needs, then when we see specific answers to prayer, it's very easy to, to not recognize that God has been answering them. And so making specific prayers. But number two, we are just generally very much, again, focused to ourselves at the center of the universe rather, in, rather than acknowledging God as the center. And every blessing that flows out from him, like rays from the sun, are intended to draw our eye back to his glory. So when we see the blessings that come from him, we give him thanks so that he receives the glory. And not only is he glorified in it, but our faith is strengthened, recognizing how faithful he has been in the past that encourages our faith to continue trusting in him in the midst of what seems to us as an uncertain future. So part of how we can honestly pray this prayer is praying it with thanksgiving to God. The second is by doing so... Um, with acknowledging, again, our dependence upon God. Not being like me with my three refrigerators. I'm afraid I'm like the person in Luke who tore down his barn so that he might build bigger barns. At the moment that you're disconnecting that fridge, and you're like, is the next one really going to work? Or this is going to be God's way of saying, yeah, anyway. You were, um, <laughs> thankfully the next one did. Um, but but the, the point is that we know in an instant it could be gone. Our, our trust is not in how many fridges we have or how much money we have in the bank or whatever abilities we have. In an instant, it could be gone. And so we recognize we depend on you. We don't trust in these things. We don't trust in the deceitfulness of riches. It's a lie. We trust in God, the maker, creator, and sustainer of all things. Give us this day our daily bread. What does bread represent in this prayer? Luther says that bread represents everything that we need, we need for life. He says bread is a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, a home, wife, children, good government, and peace. I think Luther's right that bread in this is not simply talking about physical bread. It's talking about everything, all of our, at least all of our physical needs. 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And so he's saying the things that we need for life, we come to God for all of those things. And it's appropriate and right. We shouldn't feel like it's somehow lesser to ask for a roof over our head or clothes to wear. Where we tend to go astray, though, is confusing what our needs with what are our wants. Because he doesn't say, give us this day our filet mignon. <laughs> He's saying, give us, give us bread. Give us the basics of what we need to survive, right? And we are so prone to, to discontent because we see all of the riches and abundance of people around us, and we say, that's what I deserve. And we lose sight of what we really deserve as sinners, which is simply judgment and, 
and to be separated from the fountain of blessing for all eternity. And instead, he has shown us grace. And so learning contentment in simply living, and not only in the physical things that God gives us, but in the spiritual blessings in particular, we are praying in this prayer that he would feed us from his word. Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you and let you go hungry. He fed you with the manna which you did not know, which your fathers did not, which your, uh, nor did your fathers know, in order that you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Part of the point of the manna was teaching Israel that it was not simply God as the provider of physical bread from heaven, but God who has spoken from heaven to nourish their souls by his word. And by daily, moment by moment, feeding, imbibing his word, and that word giving them the strength to obey him, that is their real life. That the life is found in the word of God and in treasuring and obeying the word of God. And so what we're praying and give us this day, our daily bread, in part, is that he would nourish our souls with the bread of life from his word. Give us the strength to obey his word. A.W. Pink, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, says this is a prayer for family worship. This is the prayer to be offered in the morning and the evening as families gather together and read God's word. And they're saying, Lord, what I need is to be fed. What my family needs is to be fed from your word and to put it in practice to obey it today. And if we are not obeying God's word, how can we then expect that he is going to meet our physical needs if we are not doing the things that he has commanded us to nourish our souls? I've made a false distinction, I think, between the physical and the spiritual at the end of the day. Because really what he is saying is that all of us as whole beings, that he would provide for our greatest needs. As we read in Luke chapter 11, in verse 13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give... Notice what it says. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, if we compare this with Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, there Jesus says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? So those good gifts could include anything, physical, spiritual, and all of life. He delights to give the good gifts of what we need as his children. But Luke has a particular emphasis, and that is to say, not just will he give good gifts, but he will give the greatest gift. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If someone asked you, what is your greatest need today? Would you say, I need the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit? This is how Jesus sees it. And we see this worked out in, the, in, in Acts. Luke and Acts, of course, are two volumes of one story. And we find in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 how the church is in prayer in the upper room. And as they are praying, the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit upon his church. And as you go through the book of Acts and these mighty acts of the Spirit of Jesus, what almost always precedes that is the church on their knees in prayer. The church prays in Acts chapter 4 with trembling because of the persecution around them. They pray for boldness and the place shakes as they are filled with the Spirit and they go out in boldness to proclaim Christ. How often are we on our knees before God saying, what I need most of all today is the power of your Spirit filling me. 
I need your fruit in my life. I need love and joy and peace and, and, and patience and all the rest that I've just forgotten in a moment. Um, we should be praying those things, right? And praying for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to go forth boldly for him because we cannot do it. We depend upon him and it's the Spirit who does it. And so while we as believers have received the Holy Spirit, we need to pray for his empowerment day by day and moment by moment for any act that we are seeking to do for the glory of Christ. And he promises that he will give as a father the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I want to say one more word about Praying for bread is also doing so in certain times and seasons while we're not eating bread. That is, the importance of prayer and fasting. What we are doing in fasting is neglecting some of the benefits, that, the blessings that God rightly gives us, whether that is we are fasting from food or drink or from television or from other forms of pleasure and blessing that the Lord gives us. And we say, not these things, because I'm going to dedicate myself to prayer. And as we dedicate ourselves to that prayer, especially if what we're fasting from is food, very quickly we will realize how often we eat without thinking. Because you're, so that, that stomach starts to grumble. And in that moment, it is an act of worship to say, God... First of all, you have blessed me so much that I eat without even being conscious of it. It's just part of my routine. It's just part of my pleasure, and I'm not giving you thanks for it. So first of all, forgive me for that. Thank you for how, how you feed me. Thank you for this little bit of hunger to remind me of how constant your faithfulness is. But second, I need you more than I need this food. You are the only one who can satisfy. And so fasting should be a regular part of our uh, of our spiritual disciplines because it is teaching us our dependence upon God and the sense of urgency and necessity in our prayer in particular, a reminder of the hunger for God that we need more of and that the world is experiencing and that only Christ can satisfy. And so with that, now I want to turn to how Jesus himself is that bread, how Jesus is the one who is the only one who can fill and satisfy our our, our greatest need of all, which is for the life that comes from God. If you would, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. What I'd like to see is that from, literally from cradle to beyond the grave, Jesus is the bread in the gospel of Luke that has come from heaven to prepare a banquet for the nations, for sinners, to come and feed on the life of God. In Luke chapter 2, in beginning verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. It came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. As we read of Jesus' incarnation, first of all, we find that the city which the Lord chose for him to be born was Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Jesus was going to be the one born in this house of bread to feed the nations upon himself. And the picture of that comes in where he was laid as he was born. In verse 7, he, they laid him in a manger, in a feeding trough for animals. And lest we miss the point, in verse 12, the sign to the, angel, or to the uh, shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in 
a manger. And again, verse 16, they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Rightly so, we think of this in terms of Jesus' humility. How the king of the universe has come to be born not in some palace, but in a stable with smelly animals and laid not in some rich cradle, but laid in a feeding trough. It speaks of his humility, but it also speaks of the blessing that he has come to bring to a hungry world. He is laid in a place where the beasts of the world come and feed and find nourishment for their souls. Going on from Jesus' glorious incarnation, we come to his temptation in Luke chapter 4. And we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth and proved that he is not only the divine Son of God, but that he is the Son of God in the sense of being true Israel, to fulfill the ministry that Israel had for the world, to bring the bread of life to the world, but that they had failed. They had failed for 40 years in the wilderness, being blessed by God's manna and yet rejecting it and grumbling against God in their unbelief. But Jesus, the true Son of God, came and for 40 days was in the wilderness, and he was faithful. He fasted, and at the end of those 40 days, as Satan came and tempted him to prove that he is the true Son of God by turning these stones into bread, Jesus responded, no. He responded from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God where each of us have rejected God's word at one time or another, Jesus is the only one who could truly say that his food is to do the will of him who sent him. John 4, 34. He knew that true strength comes from obedience to the word of God, and he is the only one who has perfectly obeyed God, who has perfectly overcome every temptation, and thus, as we will see, could be the one who could offer up his own body as bread to save us. Jesus was faithful in his temptation. Turn over to Luke chapter 9. We see in Jesus' miracles as well that he is the bread giver, the life giver for all the people of God. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 12, the day began to decline and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. We're in the desert. He said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless, people, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. He said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all recline. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. They all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. In this, one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles, Jesus shows that he himself is the bread of life that has come down from heaven 
sufficient for all his people. What began as five small loaves, Jesus multiplied to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't know how many. And not only did he feed them all so that they were satisfied, but there were 12 baskets left over. As we think of 12, of course, we think of the 12 tribes of Israel, all of God's people. Jesus is sufficient. From him is, is the food that our bodies and souls need, and there is an abundance left over. And it is interesting in this miracle how Jesus goes about doing it. He doesn't simply, out of nothing, speak, and there were now all, there's all of this food for them to eat. He took the little bit that they had, and Jesus took it and handed it to the disciples as the mediators, and then they handed it to the people. And simply by, by I guess I'll say faith, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of faith going on there, they, but they were at least being obedient in the midst of the confusion, taking what the Lord had given them, and they just kept handing it out, and everyone was full, and there was an overflowing. What a wonderful picture of how the Christian life works of how our ministry in Christ works. We have so little. What, what do I and myself have to offer to someone who, is, who has an infinite hunger? I've got nothing. I've got so very little. But if I go to Christ, and he takes that very little that he's given me, and he multiplies it to an overabundance, this is what we need to do day by day. Give us this day our daily bread so that we can be the channels of blessing, sharing the bread of life, sharing Christ himself with a hungry world. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 15. We see not only in Jesus' miracles, but in Jesus' teaching and in his very practice of feasting, Jesus was opening up the messianic banquet for sinners to come and eat with him and on him. Actually, please turn back with me to Luke 13 to see a little bit of context here. In Luke 13, in verse 28, Jesus says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being cast out. They will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Behold, some are last who will be first, some are first who will be last. Jesus' teaching and where he did that teaching was often very offensive because in Luke's gospel, he particularly and often did it around a table. And those who were seated at that table were sometimes Pharisees and were often tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus explains here what he was doing in that. He was fulfilling what the Old Testament had prophesied, that when the kingdom of God came, it would be like a lavish banquet that was prepared for all the nations to come and to feast with God. And here he was opening up a table, the messianic banquet, for people from north and south and east and west to come and dine at the table of God. And that was offensive. That was offensive to the religious elite who thought that they were the only ones who should have access to that table. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
And it is in this context of a table that Jesus describes three of his most beloved parables from Luke that speak to the very heart of Luke's gospel. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And here he describes three parables of seeking and saving that which was lost. The shepherd who goes after the sheep that has gone astray and rejoices when he's found. The woman who lost the coin, and as she finds that one, she rejoices over that coin that had been lost and is now found. And at the end of Luke 15, the two lost sons, first of all, the younger son, who wanted his father's goods and not his father. He asked for his inheritance early, and he went and spent it on the pleasures of the world and quickly found out that they're empty, that they don't satisfy. And in Luke 15 and verse 17, listen. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. The prodigal son, as he is sitting there (laughs) amidst the the longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating, he can smell his father's house of bread. He says, oh, I want to go back there. I want to go back to my father, and if I could just be a servant in his house, but if I could receive the crumbs that are coming from his table, that would be enough. But the father doesn't treat him like the slave that he asked to be. The father, in love and compassion, is looking to the hills. And as soon as he sees his son, something that would be totally shameful for for the patriarch of the family, he takes off running. And he takes his son into his arms. And he weeps on his neck. And he receives him into his home. And he clothes him, not as a slave, but as a son. And he sacrifices the the fattened calf. And he prepares a feast for his son. And then there's the older brother, who represents the Pharisees, who stands outside the house with his arms folded. He's not going to go in because he doesn't think that this younger brother deserves it. And of course, his very fault, his very sin, is thinking that he himself does deserve what remains of the inheritance. He's no different than the younger son. All he wanted was the goods and not the father himself. And so the younger son and the older son, they were both lost. And in this, in this story, what Jesus is teaching them is that there is, a, in fact, a third son. That he is that son who has come to bring forgiveness and reconciliation for rebellious younger brothers and for self-righteous older brothers. In Luke chapter 7, in verse 33 and 34, Jesus says, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. The accusation against Jesus as he ate with tax collectors and sinners was that he was a glutton and a drunkard. Now, that's not just any accusation. That's an accusation worthy of death in the context of Deuteronomy 21. Because in Deuteronomy 21, we have the law of the rebellious son who will not receive instruction and correction. And so after time, after time, after time of seeking to discipline, if he will not listen, you were to bring him to the elders of the city at the gate and he was to be stoned. And you were to say, this son of mine 
is a glutton and a drunkard. And so what they were saying was, Jesus is the rebellious son. Jesus is the one who deserves to die. Look at him. Can you imagine? Someone, a famous Bible teacher, and everywhere he goes, he's holding a party. And there's food, and there's drink, and there's all these prostitutes and, and people that the world is despising and, and looking down upon as these are the real sinners, these are the problem, and these are the ones that Jesus is eating with, you'd say, something's, something's off here. But what Jesus was doing was inviting sinners who recognize their poverty, their need, their filthiness to come and to receive forgiveness, to come from the far-off lands where they have misspent all of their inheritance and to come into the Father's house and to receive blessing and feasting and forgiveness. And at the same time, Jesus is calling those self-righteous ones to say, acknowledge your own sin, acknowledge your own poverty, your own dependence upon God and come here. And receive a feast of forgiveness around Abraham's table, around God's table, around a compassionate and loving Father who can forgive you because I am the one who came, as you say, a glutton and a drunkard, a rebellious son, to die the death that rebellious sons deserve, to go to the cross so that we might be forgiven. And that's the next place we see bread in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's remarkable to think that as Jesus took this bread, as he identified himself with this bread, the body that he had been given from the Father, he gave thanks. He was giving thanks that God, his Father, had given him a body to go and suffer for the sins of the world. Think about that. It's one thing to give thanks when we have a full pantry, when we have a, a lavish banquet before us. It's another thing to say, God, thank you for giving me these trials in my life so that I might suffer, so that you might bring good from it. Jesus gave thanks for his body that was about to be broken on the cross for us. And of course, he did go to the cross. He did die in our place for all of our lack of thankfulness, for all of our self-righteousness, for all of our thinking that we are self-sufficient and not acknowledging our total dependence upon him day by day. Yet he went to the cross and his body was broken, paying the penalty that we deserve as rebellious sons. But he did not stay dead. He rose up on the third day. And as he did, there was a pair that was on their way to Emmaus. Cleopas and his partner. And as they walked, along came a third man. And they didn't recognize him. And they were talking about how they had been longing for the redemption of Israel. They thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, but clearly he wasn't because, look, he died on the cross. And in Luke 24, verse 25, Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. They urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's getting toward evening. The day is now nearly over. And he went to stay with them. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them, he took 
the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? They arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and note, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes were veiled. Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations. But Jesus revealed himself to them in two ways. He opened to them the scriptures. He explained from Genesis through 2 Chronicles, Genesis through Malachi, look at all of the promises. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to be raised up on the third day. And Jesus was concealed in all of these prophecies of the Old Testament. But it was finally when Jesus then took bread and he broke it. And at that moment, their eyes were open. (gasps) Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the bread of life that was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the one who was laid in the feeding trough for our souls. Jesus is the one who has overcome temptation in his true Israel. Jesus is the one who has fed the 5,000. He's the true manna. In all of these tables where he's feeding tax collectors and sinners, that, that was the Messiah preparing that banquet for all of those sinners. And when he took that bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that's broken for you, he's the bread who has died on the cross for us. In that moment, their eyes were open to recognize, to, to make all of those connections and to say, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the bread of life. And what did they do with that knowledge? They took off running to go tell other people this good news. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's alive. And so, for us too, that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us, first of all, to come to him day by day by day and to say, give us independence what we need. Give it to us, to all of us, to the poor, to the body of Christ. Give us our daily bread. We come to you and you don't grow weary of listening to us. We petition day by day by day and our loving Father is so faithful to answer and he gives us the bread, our needs, not necessarily our wants, but everything that we need for life and godliness. He gives us the food and the shelter and the covering. He gives us his word to eat, to obey. And most of all, he gives us Christ. He gives us Christ to nourish our souls and in him to find all of our life because he has been born, because he has died for us, because he has been raised for us, and he lives to make intercession for us. And so we come to him and we learn by his grace to delight in depending upon him. And in our dependence is where we find our true strength in the spirit to go forth as his witnesses and to proclaim the bread of life to the hungry world around us. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life that has come down from heaven to feed and nourish our souls. We pray for your forgiveness for our self-righteousness and for our believing the lie of our self-dependence. We come to you, we totally need you for everything that we have and all that we are. 
and we want to be used as channels of blessing from you to make your name known. Thank you for the blessing that we have to come around your table now to eat, to feast with you, and to enjoy the riches of your grace that we have received through your cross. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening to your word now who recognizes that there is a hunger in them, but they don't have the answer to how it can be filled, I pray that you would open up their eyes as you open up the eyes of those on the road to Emmaus to see you are the one who satisfies. In your sacrifice, there is life. Please help them to turn in repentance and faith. Give them the gift of faith and repentance to receive life in you. In your name we pray. Amen.